The Inside Ellen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate Leeds, postcode LS53AP. Check out PR Supplies on Facebook for all your home retail needs. Hello, welcome back to the Inside Ellen Road podcast with myself, Joe Donahue, and your YEP Chief Football Writer, Graeme Smith. Uh, if we're looking or sounding a little bleary-eyed and weary, uh, that'll be because it was the early hours before the two of us were leaving the King Power Stadium last night as Leeds went seven straight matches without victory. Um, 2-0 against Leicester, a disappointing performance to say the least, a shadow of the encouraging display at Ellen Road versus Arsenal last Sunday. And as the 3,000 travelling fans chatted during the second half, Graeme, what's going on? Yeah, not quite in that uh, phraseology, was it? Um, yeah, Jesse Marsh finds himself in a in a very difficult spot. He was in a difficult spot. He's now in a very difficult spot uh, after that defeat. That was you would have thought Leeds Leeds' biggest chance of a victory so far this season, um, and a must win game. You know, if ever you're looking at um, using the term must win game. You use it when you're playing the side bottom of the league who have won victory to their credit all season and have so many players out injured. Um, but Leeds didn't do it. Um, not only that, they never really looked close to doing it. And now, so the questions for Jesse Marsh after the game obviously focused on the chance from fans who were unhappy at halftime, booed the first half performance. They booed the removal of Sinistera from the team in the second half and questioned Mark's decision, Marsh's decision, and then chanted Marcelo Bielsa's name. Um, and then at full time, when Jesse Marsh disappeared down the tunnel without kind of going across to the fans, then they uh, that caused a lot of anger, I think, and um, provoked another response from supporters, um, which didn't really help his cause. So those were all the kind of things he was facing after the game and questions that then turned to his future and how tenable his position is at Leeds, Um, which, you know, would have been quite difficult to see at full time against Arsenal, you know, when they played as well as they did and and deserved to beat the Gunners to go to Leicester and follow up with that kind of performance. And that kind of result was almost unthinkable. Um, and yet the unthinkable happened, and here we are. And we are in a position where Leeds have felt the need to clarify their stance on Jesse Marsh. So this morning we've been able to report that Leeds have no plans for an immediate change. Um, they are confident uh, in the project. They believe that Jesse Marsh is the right man for the job, and they believe that he can get a result against Fulham. They believe he can, as he did against Chelsea and Arsenal, have the team show up well against Liverpool and Spurs and they believe he can get a result against Bournemouth. Um, Now, whether you want to translate all of that as he's got until the World Cup break, I think, let's be honest, a lot of managers probably had or have until the World Cup break to turn things around because it's such a natural fire break in a season, you know, for chairman. It's a, a six week break from fixtures that gives you a chance for a reset and that chance was always going to be there, no matter how um, good or bad your season started. Um, so 
there will be no change. Jesse Marsh will not be getting the sack before Fulham. Uh, and you know, the noises out of Leeds are that you know the Fulham match will not decide his future. However, all of that has to be caveated with the Elland Road atmosphere on Sunday and the result against Fulham and the performance because things change very, very quickly. The the the, the shifting sands for a Premier League manager are um perilous. And you know, one minute your footing can seem certain and it can have been put it might have been put on record that your position is not under threat. And then you know, you find yourself facing a stadium full of angry people and and that gets to chairman and it gets to decision makers. Um so Sunday might might be a day when the the board at Leeds United uh discovered just how resolute they are in their confidence and their belief in this project and in Jesse Marsh. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, they they did they went all in with with Jesse Marsh uh, back in February. They've and, and they have continued to do so over the summer. Um they've brought in staff members that Marsh has has requested or has worked with previously um or knows um quite quite well. Um the players that he's brought in uh, Rasmus Christensen, Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams—you know, players who specifically were were targeted because <clears throat> there was the belief that they could um, acclimatize to to the Premier League, uh, but also help the team adapt to, to Jesse Marsh's preferred style. Um, I mean, the the position that, that the Leeds board have taken, I think, is is an understandable one. Um, with how close that the Fulham game is, um, it there wouldn't really be a material opportunity to make any sort of meaningful change without jeopardizing the team's fortunes against Fulham on Sunday. Um, but, you know, the, it, it gets to this stage, doesn't it, Graham, where you you have these these questions fielded by managers in press conferences where, you know, there was about two or three yesterday evening at the King Power where, um, you know, the the question of, you know, do, do you feel under pressure, you know, do you, do you know what the the board's outlook will be? And you know he, he he said a couple of times that they're totally unified, and in doing that he probably bought himself some time, um, because by saying they're totally unified, it then makes the board look um, major, yeah, a, a way that perhaps they don't want to be seen if they then go and and, and pull the trigger. So um, I think se- I mean the, the the brass tacks of it all is seven winless games. Um, and Fulham is kind of looking like last chance saloon, really, because, you know, while there might be the opportunity to, to see out until the World Cup, you know, if, if Leeds don't, I mean, if Ellen Road is is particularly toxic on Sunday, you know, as you said, the, taking the temperature of the fan base might be the, the final nail. And it seems as though those nails have come quick and fast because, as you said, at the end of that Arsenal game, um, you know, I think... Uh, the vast majority of people would have said, yes, it's still too early to be considering that. But now you look at the table outside of the bottom three on goal difference only, um, admittedly with a game in hand, but no win since August. Um, the performance at Leicester didn't really look like scoring from start to finish against a team and a goalkeeper have conceded the most in the league. Um, a team who started the day in 20th, missing Talisman James Madison, missing several key players. Um, and Leeds were largely... Uh, I mean, the squad was certainly at full strength. Um, team selection was was left a lot to be desired, and we'll get on to that next. But it, it felt like another missed opportunity, and I feel like there's been so many of them this season. And it comes it comes down to you know how many opportunities can you miss without them becoming fatal? 
Yeah, the, the problem that Leeds have, um, or the major problem that Leeds have, is that the chances they create are not being taken and they're making individual errors that cost them goals. And when you concede goals from errors and when you don't score goals yourself, it's a recipe for one thing only, and, and that's relegation. And it's a situation where your position becomes threatened. Um, for me, in a way, it was a surprise last night how quickly it turned, and also it wasn't. I think we made the point last season that when the football wasn't great, but Marsh was getting en- got enough points just for Leeds to stay up. You know, he did what he was brought in to do initially. The football wasn't great, and we made the point that if the football is not great in a similar way next season, after a summer of recruitment that would be geared towards Marsh's football, then it wouldn't take many adverse results in a row for things to turn. Because if you're playing great football and the fans are entertained, it buys you time because people aren't really minded to go after you. They don't really want to see you removed if they're enjoying what they're seeing and if you're playing some swashbuckling stuff. Um, Bielsa had a lot of credit in the bank for his achievements, not only his football, but his football definitely helped keep the Wolves from the door last season. Um, And all it was going to take really was a few defeats before people started to get a bit miffed. And, And you have to remember as well that football is an escape for people from very difficult situations, from the stresses of life. Everyone's got those at the minute. We're in an unbelievable time when it comes to the difficulties people are facing in their lives. And the football for 90 minutes is a chance to go and forget about all of that. And if it's not fun, then patience runs out very, very quickly. And Arsenal was entertaining. Leeds were entertaining because they played the direct football they played when they won the ball created chances and it created danger and that's entertaining. But over the piece of this season, you have to say that there have been too many humdrum performances where they didn't create enough and they didn't sparkle in possession and they struggled out of it. Now, yes, we've talked about the defensive evolution and how they've been harder to play through. That has to that has to be maintained, and and that all that all goes to waste when you commit individual yeah. errors. You know, there's yeah. there's no point in having a really solid defense if you keep committing, you know, positional or uh, tactical errors, and, and and or even just you know glaring ones like being dispossessed and then not being cover behind behind you and letting a yeah. team go through. And and I think where the pressure has suddenly become ramped up is when a performance has elements that are a bit desperate or or a bit worrying. And last night, Rocker losing the ball the way he did, all of a sudden Leeds were exposed. And that was one of maybe, what, four or five times that Leeds were really badly exposed in the first half. Junior Furpo, you know, it looked like you could park a bus between him and Urente at times. And Leicester were doing that very deliberately. They were dragging Urente away from Furpo or dragging Furpo to the touchline and then looking to play the ball in between the two of them. Um, and and they did that for a goal, didn't they? You know, that that they profited from that. But also on the, on the far side, they were looking to hit Barnes and, and get him uh, in behind Christensen and in between Christensen and, and Robin Cock. And Leeds just either weren't wise enough to it or couldn't do anything to stop it. 
And it reminded me a little bit of the Palace game when Vieira took steps to take that game away from Leeds and there was no real response, that no tangible response that, that wrestled the game back in their favour. There was nothing I saw from Leeds last night that suggested that they could get that game back under control. Um, an early goal in the second half might have done it at 2-0 down, but they just looked so far from a goal. But like, what were the opportunities that Leeds had last night? I mean, you, you think about Sinistera's one, which he runs 60 yards and then hits the bar from outside the box. I mean, he gets a little bit fortunate on the edge of the area with the ball ricocheting to him. He also gets a little bit fortunate in, in his own half when the ball falls to him before he, he's able to run. Um, and then you think about Somerville's chance, which he put just wide of the post as well. Um, but, I mean, they're both chances from outside the box or, you know, at least 18 yards from goal. And that's, you You need to be getting into the penalty area. You know, the, the, the whole point of Marsh's style of play is that you you play centrally so that you can get into the centre of the, in, into the box. You know, you, you, you are left thinking, well, what is, you know, what sort of redeemable aspects were there from that, from that performance? And, you know, ordinarily this season, it's been, okay, the defence has been a bit more solid. But then you, you, you caveat it with, Okay, well, they made individual errors, which essentially gave them an uphill battle. And as we know that against Leeds this season, as soon as teams go a goal up, as soon as they dig in, as soon as they sit into a low block, it's very difficult to break them down when they pack the middle of the field with loads of bodies. When Leeds are trying to play through there, that it, it, it looks rushed, it looks jammed, it looks hurried. Um, and as you say about the aesthetics of the football, people can excuse it if it looks good and you're creating lots of chances. But when you're when you're missing the chances that you create, and then in turn not creating enough to to be a threat against the team bottom of the table, it's it's cause for concern. Yeah, it is. And what also ramps up the pressure on the intensity and scares people uh, in a fan base is when the manager makes decisions that are difficult to understand, and that's where things take on perhaps an element of desperation because everyone calls for change. You know, if it's not working, people want to see a different formation, different tactic, different personnel. But I almost think a manager has to be resistant to that. Maybe it's the, the, the Bielsa period that has maybe conditioned me a bit towards this. But if, if you're suddenly dropping your captain and your left-footed, left-sided centre-back and playing Diego Llorente, next to Junior Firpo. Now, Firpo had to come into the team because Stroik was injured. That's that, There isn't another left-back. That's not Marsh's doing. That's the squad build that has created that situation. Stroik, one of the most consistent performers and has been very solid defensively at left-back for the most part. He was out injured, so Firpo had to come in. It feels, maybe it's retrospect, maybe it's um, hindsight, but you would think that Cooper needed to be alongside Firpo, who has not had an easy time of it defensively since he arrived in the Premier League. You know, the, the question marks over Firpo's 1v1 defending capability arose before he even played a game for Leeds United. You know, that's what La Liga experts told us were the downsides to that signing. His athleticism and his will to get forward, yep, great. But 1v1 defending, particularly in Bielsa's team where 1v1 defending was an absolute must, uh, left him exposed last season. And it, it was difficult because of injuries and COVID, but he didn't have a good season. He's had one start this season and he was 
he was far from convincing last night. And some of that is um, from the system because he he was isolated, you know, and, and exposed. Um, but playing Llorente next to him, I almost think was asking for trouble because Llorente is not in good form. And he has that almost ever-present possibility of drama around him you know a, a possible mistake something going a bit awry being a bit too aggressive with with the you know 1v1 defending and getting beaten um if you're a center forward and you're looking at those two lead center halves and you're thinking which one can i try and drag left right and center all evening um who, whose head can i try and get into who can i go into a physical battle with if i'm that type of center forward you know i'm looking at urente over cock i'm looking at urente over cooper and I mean, with the prospect that Jamie Vardy was going to line up against Leeds, who I mean has caused untold damage against that that defence in recent seasons. The same with Harvey Barnes. It did seem a natural pick to have Cooper in there, but I I, I understand and I can sympathise with Marsh's reasoning for not having Cooper there. You know, he wants to protect him. He's very important. Um, three game weeks, I think he said. Um, you know, three games in eight days. It's difficult, especially when he's come back from injury and repeated injury so frequently. It felt as though, you know, last night was a must-win game. So you have to put your strongest team out and then you go to Fulham after that and think, right, okay, let's, okay, maybe maybe we can afford to, um, to, to rest Cooper for the first 45 minutes or whatever. And how much of a rest was it? He missed 45 minutes of the game and then he had to come on at half-time with the team already 2-0 down. So it, to me, it looks as though the objective there hasn't really been achieved. But I, I agree with you on the, the Firpo and Llorente point. That that half, that side of the defence, I mean, even just having a right-footer as the left-sided centre-back and a right-footer as the right-sided centre-back, it affects how the how you're going to play and build up. It means that pretty much all of your, your passing is going to be funnelled to the left-hand side. But Leeds were using a three at the back in build-up with Christensen pushed on. So that meant that every time Leeds received the ball from Rocker or Ad uh, every time Llorente or Cock received the ball from Rocker or Adams, they had to open their body up and sort of look to, to spray that ball out to the right. Um, and more often than not, it was coming straight back into the feet of Rocker and Adams, and that's where the goal comes from. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you think, uh, am I overanalyzing things? Have I looked at this? Um, and and I'm, I have I missed something that the coaching staff, it's been blatantly obvious to them that that's the only solution that they could have had. But, you know, to everybody else, it, it looked as though that was a, a, a confusing decision. And then while I'm a, I'm a big supporter of Crescentio Somerville, the decision to drop Jack Harrison um, on the wings, again, it might be a, a fitness thing, but, you know, Harrison has played pretty much constantly over the past three years, hasn't really picked up too many serious injuries. Um, if at all. And while Marsh has been talking up Somerville, I wouldn't say that your, your creative, you know, your, your touch point in the final third, well, he's not a big shooter, but Harrison has created more than any other Leeds player this season. And you'd think going up against the team who have conceded the most, you'd want a player in there who, first of all, has some sort of partnership and understanding of Patrick Bamford, if you're going to put Bamford in, in the attack, um, and somebody who's going to be, I don't know, a, a little bit more more robust dealing with um, the the runs that you know Harvey Barnes is going to make off your shoulder or Dennis Pratt or or the the Leicester uh, fullbacks which could turn into to wingbacks. So um, I wasn't sure about the Somerville choice either. And Harrison obviously came on in the second half as well. Um, I think Bamford for Rodrigo is a natural pick, 
given how well Bamford did in the second half against Arsenal. But, I mean, even that, we left a lot to be desired, um, especially in that that opening for, uh, 45 minutes. Um, it just, just didn't click, didn't seem to work. And you can't have that inconsistency when you're six, seven games without a win. No, it, you know, even if you're taking it as a three-game week and you're trying to look at your resources, your most important game in this week was the Leicester game because it comes before Fulham and you have to win it. Now, Arsenal, bit of a free hit, you know, and you you did really well against Arsenal. There was momentum. I felt there was momentum at full time against Arsenal because you came off the pitch, applauded for your efforts. Players were probably out on their feet but they'll have had that feeling that we've just battered Arsenal. You know, we can go to Leicester and, and beat them. So to make, you know, that, those kind of changes um, was just, it was, I found it a bit strange. And I think there was quite a few eyebrows raised prior to kickoff when, when we saw the team and whether or not that was the right time to give Somerville his first start in the Premier League. I'm not quite sure. You know, if he puts that chance away, it's worked and Marsh is you know, made to look like a genius. If it doesn't work, you're made to look foolish. And that's just the life of a football manager. You know, you, you live and die on your decisions um, and on what you, those decisions, you know, the results of those decisions. Um, but the, 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 the thing was, the performance was so far away from what we saw against Arsenal, you know, and, and it wasn't even as if Leicester were the kind of direct side that, that don't pass the ball around that, that Leeds might struggle against because they can't press them that well. Leeds just didn't seem at it, you know, from fairly early on. You know, Marsh thinks they made a good start. He, he felt the performance wasn't that bad. I'm not sure there was enough in that performance, you know, to suggest that kind of a view. And um, a few thought that I judged Somerville quite harshly for his rating, but I, I felt he almost flattered to deceive a bit. I, I felt like... The, the moments where he were was dangerous were fairly few and far between and um I felt his execution at times was left quite a lot to be desired you know when it when it when he got on the ball it wasn't Somerville's fault that that result that performance just as it wasn't Ferpo or Urente's ind individual faults it was just a collective below par performance and then selection issues and substitutions as well that that I wasn't certain about. Um, Cooper had to come on, obviously. Bamford didn't really do anything, so you could see why he went off. Sinistera, though, is your biggest goal threat, arguably. In a game where you can't break down a defence, particularly, Sinistera is the one who is probably going to be able to make something happen from outside the box for himself. So I would almost always have him on the pitch. Um but maybe that was Marsh's concession that this game's gone. Um, I'll throw Joffy on, and if he can get something great, but we need Sinistera against Fulham, and this game's gone. Um, maybe that's unfair, but uh, it didn't go down well with supporters, and it just kind of increased the pressure, I think, on Marsh. Um, but yeah, not I think good... it's probably best that we we discuss the 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 fans element to last night because mm. we haven't really seen. I mean, uh, given the circumstances in which Marcelo Bielsa left and then Jesse Marsh arrived, it was all pretty quick. And we haven't really seen um, overt dissent from the Leeds fans. We've seen, you know, maybe a little bit on, on social media, people saying that, you know, they they prefer, I mean, certainly last season, they would have preferred to have stuck with Bielsa. But I think the for the most part, there's been 
wide ranging support for Jesse Marsh in that, you know, the jury is still out. The jury has been out for much of this season because uh, preseason was effectively a clean slate, especially with the new players coming in. But last night, I think, was the first instance where we did see that descent from the away end. Um, and it was it was particularly vocal. It wasn't just pockets of a few here and there. Um, it was sustained. And that's, well, that's worrying. Yeah, it was a lot of the 3,000 away fans. And that's, you can almost ignore social media noise and social media talk because there's always a difference between the social media response to a game and a mm-hmm. performance and what you see from match-going fans. But the match-going fans last night were every bit as angry as anyone sat at home commenting on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Um, they were just, they were absolutely fed up. And I think, you know, questioning what was going on, they just couldn't see the plan. You know, they couldn't see what the plan was. And in those latter stages, when Cooper's got the ball and he looks up, he hasn't really got an Tyler Adams got the ball, he looks up, hasn't got an option. Click drops back into the left-back slot to get the ball, looks up, hasn't really got an option to progress it. I know they're probably trying to find an angle so they can, like like against Arsenal later on, looking to find an angle so they can put a ball in the box that somebody can attack. But it just didn't look cohesive. It didn't look coherent. It wasn't convincing. Um, never really felt like Leicester were going to concede in that second half. They looked comfortable. And Leicester are a side who should be far from comfortable when when you've got the ball. Set pieces didn't really work either. You know, there were a lot of wasted set pieces. And that's where you really want to put Leicester under pressure because they've struggled so badly under Rodgers from set pieces. And with big players out, you know, with Johnny Evans and people like that not in the team, you just want to put them under from every conceivable angle and opportunity. And Leeds didn't. Um, so I can understand the frustration. And I, I think the club will understand the frustration from the fans as well. Um, I, I wonder if it's held off a little bit, not only because we're quite early in the season, but because people understand that Marsh has been dealing with this striker situation where they didn't get one in the window where they really badly needed it. Um, it's almost like, you know, building a building a house, you know, you build the foundations with your defensive midfielders and the defenders that you need to bring in. And then you put the walls on with uh, attacking midfielders and, and wingers that you bring in. And then you need to put a roof on it. And, um, and they didn't. You know, they they didn't get that finishing touch that, you know, it, it's it's looking like a great house as you're building it from the ground up and you think this is sensible, this looks like good architecture. You know, Rocker looks like a good sign and a good pickup and a bargain. Tyler Adams, um, you know, it, it was between him and Camera, wasn't it? And fans maybe wanted Camera, but the way Adams started the season suggested that he was a good pickup. Aronson, very bright. I thought he was the best player on the pitch last night for Leeds. Um, until he was kind of put in a position where he couldn't really hurt Leicester in, in deep line midfield. Sinistera still looks like a very good player. Christensen um, last night wasn't great, but he has put in two good performances in a row prior to that. So those bit business, good business, but it, it doesn't mean you can't get a striker. You need that striker. And Marsh has been dealing with that. Rodrigo started the season with a few goals. You know, made a made a really good start. Since then, has had an injury and then hasn't really done anything. You know, he's trying Hollywood stuff, like the pass against Arsenal that was so costly. Like last night, he picks up the ball wide right outside the box and tries a shot from there. Um, it's 
that's not that's not a plan you know that's that's a striker just kind of free freewheeling freestyling um it's signs of frustration and they, yeah. they were they were born out i mean you could see rodrigo sort of coming over at breaks in play um to to jesse marsh and i suppose it highlights just sort of the i don't want to say lack of a plan but the 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 lack of clarity ironically um that there was in that you know rodrigo was you know, on the left-hand side, sometimes he was on the right. He was then playing up front in a two with Sinistera. You know, you combine that with Click playing left-back once. Firpo went off. Aronson coming into the, the midfield two alongside Adams when Rocker went off at half-time. You know, it felt very hodgepodge. Um, and I think the, the the chance of, you know, what is going on, um, it, it, it's, it's justified in terms of them you know chanting that towards marsh because despite that striker situation i do think that he has been cut quite a lot of slack because i think they, they understand that he did want a striker he's 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 usually ultra positive on on everything but when he was asked throughout the transfer window are you going to get a striker and, and he said yeah essentially in an ideal world i would very much like a striker to come in and I don't know whether I'm reading into it too much, but the striker that did come in, uh, albeit hurriedly, the 18-year-old Italy international, hasn't had a minute yet, and they're still struggling for goals. So, you know, it's it's one of those situations where, you know, did did he want uh, a more experienced striker in there? I think it would have been very, very useful given the fitness issues that Bamford has had to deal with continuously throughout this year, um, and looks as though he's still going to be able to, uh, he's still going to have to deal with um, because even last night, you know, there was there was indications that he was maybe getting back to his best, but at the same time, he still had that that shade of what he was at, at Crystal Palace, where it just maybe looked a little bit off the pace at about seventy five percent. So the striker situation, the the fans are obviously very understanding of that, but that that doesn't excuse the the style of play that he seems to be married to, um, which. For the time being, and certainly for the last seven games or so, yes, it might have worked in principle, but it hasn't worked at the top end or the the roof. It has, the roof hasn't worked, if you want to put it that way. Um, and Leeds haven't been able to find goals. Yeah, and I, and I think it said a lot last night that you and I watched Jesse Marsh calling Rennie Marich and sometimes Mark Jackson out to him in the technical area for long discussions. And then the last one they had that we kind of watched was probably about 10 minutes to go, something like that. And they had a chat. They looked at the bench. Maric had his kind of back to the pitch and was looking at the substitutes. They looked down the line and saw Click and Nyonto warming up. They looked back at the bench. They chatted. Um, it was almost like, well, what can we do here? You know, what can we actually do? Um, and it is curious. It's not, a good, not a good position to be in against a team who started the day in twentieth. If you can't, if you can't no. bring anybody in who's going to affect the game, or you can't fathom a, a way to to hurt them, what can yeah. you do? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, it is curious that Nyanto hasn't had a minute yet because um, he looked bright and lively for the twenty ones. And we've we've talked about the gulf that there is between twenty ones and um, and Premier League. There's not as much of a gulf between international football and the Premier League and he, and he has some experience in that there's probably not as much of a gulf between 21s and Premier League um, as there is between uh, the Swiss League he was playing in and and the Premier League so you would think at some point you'd try him but again I guess it just it, it speaks to this 
almost being in desperation mode. What can we try next? You know, when it's not working, but when things aren't working, you have to do something and it's either find a way that your plan works better with Bamford and with Rodrigo um, or swap them out. Um, it's just hard to see a fix to that problem right now. That That's that's the worry, I think, is, is that the lack of confidence around the club that they can fix the goal scoring issue that, that and that individual errors will stop. Because those things are... This is I asked Jesse Marsh about this last night, you know, which is the easiest of the two to fix because they're they're killing you right now. And his answer that he wanted the team to be, you know, strong and, and resolute and full of belief. And um if they're strong and resolute and full of belief, they still might make mistakes. There's not a great deal Marsh can do about Rocker miscontrolling the ball in the middle of the park. But the way the team's set up around Rocker, you know, to ensure that they don't get then hit for a goal from that position, I suppose, is, is down to Marsh. And there's not a lot he can do about Bamford missing one, one v ones or missing penalties or Somerville curling it past the post. Maybe he can instill a bit more confidence in them. But I would I would be concerned right now that players are starting to feel that gnawing deja vu. You know, we've been here before. We've been in a relegation fight before. And so much was made of the stress around them last season, the stress they were under and the stress that, that Marsh found when he walked in, that you wonder what, what is their ability to cope in stress. Now, there are a lot of new players in the team and that maybe brings a different element to it. They've not been in this situation before, so maybe they won't go into a shell or they won't start to make errors. Um, but Rock is a new player, isn't he? And, and that error last night was one of his first big ones, really, in a lead shirt. And I, and I also think he was fairly below par last night, which which wasn't great. Not a good time to to, to chuck in a bad one. Um, so what kind of mentality can Marsh give to this team in the time between now and kickoff against Fulham? And how important a role will the fans play for that game? Because uh, we're, we're by the time this comes out, the embargo will have passed. We, we did Jesse's pre-Fulham press conference last night at Leicester and... That was what I asked him about the Fulham game. You know, how important is the first goal so that you keep the fans with you? Because they will be with them from the start. That the roar when Leeds kick off will be massive and they'll be right behind them and marching on together will be as loud as ever. The Leeds fans get the urgency when they're needed. But Leeds have to give them something to keep them with them, to keep them believing. And the first goal would be huge for that. If it goes to Fulham, that's where you can see big problems. Mm. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure the first goal has, has ever been more key for Marsh since probably Brentford away last season. Yeah, I suppose that is where the attention turns now onto Fulham on Sunday. Uh, and, I mean, the landscape could have changed completely by the time we next record. Um, just before we finish this episode, though, uh, I do want to say it wasn't all bad news um, last night, certainly not for Graham anyway. There was a, a nice little mention. Some of you listening or watching on, on Amazon Prime Sport um, might have heard uh, Peter Drury, the Peter Drury, uh, uh, an iconic commentator uh, referencing Graham's column in the YEP. Um, any uh, any comments on on that, Graham? Any further comments? Because I feel like you talked my ear off in the in the car on the on the way back about it's Peter just, Drury mentioned my column. Yeah, it wasn't appropriate to kind of bring it up last night because people were still thinking about the bad news. They probably still are. Um, but uh, it's just great to see a you know a fellow professional 
you know, doing his research, I guess, before the game. Um, uh, shame that he didn't actually name me, though, because obviously people might mistakenly think it was one of your pieces he was referencing, or or Lee Sobot, or um, or another one of our our journalists. Um, I do think it says a lot, though, about Peter Drury that he's reading the YEP before the game, you know, just to gen up on what the general atmosphere is. You do find that with a lot of broadcasters that you'll get a call now and again from somebody doing um, like punditry to uh, to find out to, to gauge the temperature. But what a vo- to hear to hear your work spoken about by a man with that voice uh, is 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 great. He is um, he's incredible. It probably would have only been better if Ali McCoist had been on commentary and, and he had also read it, in which case at that point I might I might just have retired. I suppose this is the most, uh, anybody listening to this is probably thinking, okay, well, that's the good news. You're still thinking about the bad news, aren't you? Yeah, that's everybody's still thinking about the bad news. That's very scant consolation, but um, it hasn't wiped a smile off your face. Um, that is everything from this week's episode of the Inside Ellen Road podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, in whatever reality, Leeds United reality that may be. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed for a, a good performance, a better performance, and hopefully three points against Fulham at Ellen Road on Sunday. Uh, take care. Bye for now. The Inside Ellen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate in Leeds. PR Supplies, everything for the home.